Hey, this is Mike from Theology on Mission podcast. Now is the time to enroll and become a student at Northern Seminary. For everyone who applies and is accepted, we'll send you a $50 gift card to Amazon for those books. And if you are enrolling in the Theology and Mission program, we'll send you a copy of Dave's new book, What is the Church and Why Does It Exist? So look at the show notes. The link is seminary.edu backslash TM apply, and we'll set up an appointment with you and get you enrolled in classes this fall. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. Yeah, the theory on radio is you don't wait until the beat drops. Or you don't talk until the beat drops. You got to let the beat drop. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, well, thanks for the theory on sometimes radio I, lecture. <laughs> sometimes I feel, Mike Moore, that you don't let the beat drop. You're yeah. a little uh, quick on the trigger, so to speak. Gosh. I feel like you should you should give me these radio lessons before we start the show. You gotta let the beat drop, and then and then <laughs> and then we kind of ease into it, and we get in the mood. Hmm, it's good. Yeah, and in fact, by the way, we're sitting in the room here once again with uh, our very own Beth Felker Jones, a new theology professor at Northern Seminary, and I noticed that she was jiving to the beat. It's a it's a good song. Thank you, Jeff Holsclaw, for the song. Yes. So here we are, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, welcome again to the studio, Beth. And uh, I just want to say, Theology on Mission podcast, where theology engages the issues of culture for Christ and his kingdom. I threw a little thing about, that's a, that's a little hangover from Wheaton College. Is yeah, that okay, yeah. Beth? I caught that. Yeah. <laughs> I got a little bit of Wheaton College in me, although I don't think any Wheaton College has got any leftover impact of me in there, although <laughs> I was on the hockey team for three years. And anyone t- who yeah. lived through that will tell you it was not an impact. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. You can take the boy out of Wheaton, but you can't take the Wheaton out of the boy. That's very well said. Beth, how, how are you doing adjusting to your new role as professor of systematic theology at, at Northern Seminary? I'm having a great time. Looking forward to teach, starting teaching in September and uh, looking forward to getting to know my students. Right now, I'm trying to organize all the many, many books piled up in my office. That's right. And that is not a pleasant task, organizing no. books into a room. How do you organize them? Vaguely by topic. Okay. Yeah. We just re- rearranged our um, bookshelves by color uh, of the of the spines That's of the book. That's a very controversial thing to do Is it? in the book. Well, tell me more. Yeah. Well, does it put design over content? That's, it, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it here does. we go. And I know a professor no longer at Northern Seminary who uh, did the Dewey Decimal System on his whole life. Oh, really? Wow. And he always knew where every book was. Who is that? But let me tell you, all the work that went into that was not enough. <laughs> it, there's just not enough pain that I can't find a book to go through what he no. had to go through. Oh, wow. To uh, Dewey Decimal System, w- w- his entire library. Can you share this, professor, or no? Um, 
tell you the truth, I can't remember. Okay, okay. okay. I can't remember who okay, it was. No worries, no worries. I was stunned by what yeah, was going wow. on. Well, folks, welcome to Theology on Mission Lecture, uh, not Lectureship. By the way, we do have a lectureship coming up. Yeah, Michael Gorman's coming to campus on September 23rd and 24th. And you can both zoom in mm -hmm. uh, and hear the lectures, or you can actually be here. The bonus for those who actually come and be present is what, Mike Moore? A breakfast. Is that what you're referring to? A breakfast. Okay. And it's yes. not just one of these, uh, what do you call those cheap breakfasts you get in the hotel? Oh, like a continental breakfast? Yeah, no, this is eggs, bacon. Oh, yeah, okay. Pancakes. <laughs> Somebody has not ordered coffee. these things yet, so I feel Better like <laughs> I feel like expectations are, are, are growing with the minute. I think we're charging a measly five bucks, maybe ten. Breakfast is free, yeah. Oh, folks. Anything you could, anytime you can get something free from a seminary, you got to jump on that. <laughs> so right. we just want to, uh, and, and there's a web page and, and Mike will have stuff. it in the notes. That's right. All right. We need to get to the business at hand. Um, and uh, let me just do a little uh, kind of preamble um, uh, introduction. But the, the, the subject matter is the dangers and the necessities and the place of pastoral care in the church and this is of course a very important topic because we're coming out of COVID-19 and there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in a lot of different ways a lot of alienation so we want to talk about pastoral care its place its uh, importance its dangers and to do this uh, we're going to riff off of a uh, an article on the dangers of providing pastoral care by Will Willimon, Stanley Hauerwas. It was in Christian Century, uh, I have like three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I yep. put it on my Facebook page. Beth put it on her Facebook page. Um, I think I got, uh, you can probably guess, we got different reactions to it, not just personally, but on the Facebook page. What did you do with this when you read it, Mike Moore? Uh, I went to both of your Facebook pages and read the comments, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is how this idea came up to have the conversation. So you can get on my Facebook page by just searching for me, and Fitchest is the label. What What is your Facebook page, Beth? Beth Felker Jones. Oh, that's really easy. It's great. Okay. And so uh, on our Facebook pages, we dealt with this. Now, let me just read two uh, snippets from Stanley Harawas on this, and then I'm going to give it over to Beth. Do you, yeah. Can I? Can we start off with your comments? Beth? Sure. Okay. She said, "Sure." Like, okay, I'm ready for you. She's ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, Beth and I have been on the same faculty for just a few weeks, so we're still trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. Um, <laughs> so uh, Stanley. Uh, Starts out, or he doesn't start out. I'm just going to read a few uh, little quotes here. He says, pastoral care has become, I should do this, pastoral care has become obsessed. Okay, That's not bad. It's close. <laughs> pastoral care has become obsessed with the personal wounds of people in advanced industrial societies who have discovered that their lives lack meaning. Okay, boom. Okay, there, there's a, what, what do you call it? Mic drop? Is that yeah, yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of those little a lot mic of drop tweets in this. this. 
article, which, by the way, again, the dangers of providing pastoral care. Will Willeman, Stanley Hauerwas in conversation, Christian Century. You can look it up and find it there. Hauerwas's remedy, here's another one. Quit taking yourselves so seriously. Quit taking yourselves so seriously. Enjoy having your narcissism defeated by being drawn into the church's eschatological mission to witness Christ's cross and resurrection. Okay. Now, you want me to read it again, or is that just overwhelming you now as, I, as we No, it? that was great. That was All great. Right. You did an excellent job reading. Beth, what do you think about Stanley? You know Stanley. You worked underneath. You're a graduate of Duke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I should definitely say posting this on my Facebook page comes from my story, right, mm, at yes. Duke. I was educated at Duke at the height of the golden reign of Stanley Hauerwas. Um, I think Will Willeman taught my first ever class in seminary. And I have the greatest personal respect and affection for Stanley as a human being. Um, but... Something about this article uh, snapped something in me just yes. a little bit. And I, I had to offer my concern that this kind of dismissal of people's hurts, needs, wounds uh, is actually deeply harmful. And it has some major theological problems uh, mm. as well. And the, the, the tone of the piece is extraordinarily high-horsed and narcissistic, right? Um, and both men are repeating lines. I've heard them repeat yes. endless number of, yeah. of times. Um, the lack of awareness of their own personal power, right? A power that was uh, so huge when I was in seminary is really painful here. And the lack of awareness of their own location as white men with a lot of power um, hmm. is something that just needs to be named. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, and so lack of location, but you said theological problems. Give us one. Give us a good. Yeah. One can read this piece and wonder uh, if, if either of these esteemed thinkers has ever heard of the goodness of God. Uh, the goodness of creation, the fact that God actually loves people and cares about them. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, the goodness of the human being is created in the divine image. Uh, there's a lot of dismissal of, hmm. of people here. Um, and that's felt in location, right? Hmm. It's felt by people who aren't powerful white men in ways that are different than it might be felt by those who are. Yeah. And so, um, so, uh, as a white man, not love white men. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I was feeling a little. No, I wasn't. But uh, I don't feel as powerful as uh, Stanley and or Will. But there is a location to <clears throat> your voice, and especially if you're a white man. Uh, a, uh, you have to pay extra attention to your location because you can easily forget your location yeah. at northern seminary it's hard to forget your location as a white male every student that looks at you when you walk in the room uh kind of you know that that space has to be navigated yeah. as a white man do you have any comments on that the northern seminary part either um yeah i mean i i agree with everything you said you have to 
own your social location. I've talked about this a lot the last two years pastoring on the west side of Chicago in a, a black congregation, how much more aware of it I've become. And actually how, how disorienting it is to not be at the center of the social location that you inhabit. Mm-hmm. Like no longer being, being the reference point. Cause I'm so used to being the reference point for what we're talking about. And I'm no longer the reference point and I'm trying to, you know, trying to make sense of it, but realizing that this is a really good disorient disorientation that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. Uh, this is not the, not the center of the subject for this podcast, but, uh, white males being in a different location mm-hmm. than white whiteness yes yes i'm i'm pastoring a church with six pastors two mm-hmm. three women three men mm-hmm. i'm the old white guy in the group but it is it is a uh, shaping formation yeah. personal formation to be in that group we meet every thursday night to pray and uh, discern the uh, issues of our church life together. Mm, so, good. anyways, doing that in a mutuality is really important. Okay, to get back on the on the thing here. Okay, Stanley's gift, like like he he, I was doing my doctorate at Northwestern under the graduate faculty of Garrett Seminary, and um, but Stanley came alongside me and worked with my doctoral dissertation. Stanley wrote the recommendation letter to, for my current job here. Oh. Stanley wrote, I didn't even know he knew this much about me. And then he writes me a personal letter. And it's like, Dave, I just want you to know, I meant everything I said in the letter. <laughs> Who does that? He really is a generous He's human an being. amazingly generous human yeah. being. And I would say his gift is saying something in a way that always disrupts the status quo. To what extent do you think Beth Stanley was doing a Stanley on us here (laughs) and we should give him a little grace or should we say, Stanley, you said this stuff in the same way 25 years ago. Come on, get with it. Give me a little feedback on that. Again, respect and affection for Stanley Hauerwas. I'll always be in some ways a Hauerwasian. But... It is the same thing from 25 years ago. And I think that awareness of what needs to be disrupted uh, has to constantly evolve. As somebody who's spent most of my career teaching mostly white evangelical students, it's been interesting to watch them receive Stan's disruption of the mostly white mainline church yes yeah right so even when something comes to a different audience than you were really talking to it can be received in a different way Hmm. and i think often the reception of that disruption in evangelicalism has not been what stanley really would have been looking for really okay so my history 25 years ago is that i find stanley's disruption badly needed in evangelicalism badly Ironically, he's speaking mostly to the mainline Protestant church. Right. But man, did we need a little of Hauerwas 25 years ago. So anyways, it's out of that that I'm always trying to go, okay, can't we give this guy a little room? (laughs) He is 80. Stanley, if you're listening, I'm not trying to call out your age. But 
Um, yeah, no, and I, I don't want to give him great grace just because he's 80. Okay, so let's move on before I stick my uh, foot deeper in, into whatever. Um, let's talk about the role of pastoral care in the life of the church, the life of Christians, the life of pastoral ministry. And, and can I put it this way? Uh, and you can, you can uh, engage me uh, any way you like, Beth. Uh, the role of the therapeutic gaze in the church. Yeah, you, I'm, with, you, I'm with Dr. Harawas in the therapeutic gaze. We, we can throw it out. But the people are precious, right? And, and that's what's lost in this particular piece, at least, from, uh, from the century. Yes. Um, my biggest experiences in pastoral care are as a teacher to students uh, and in connection to the local church. And again, for me, those contexts have mostly been pretty privileged contexts, but the people are still precious and they're still really hurting. There's yeah. not, not wounds among mm -hmm. privileged people. There are huge wounds and God actually cares about those because God is good. I think that's the main thing I want to say. Hmm. God is good. Let's not lose that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. God is good. All the time. <laughs> Sorry. Is it, are you a Methodist? <laughs> uh, don't, don't get into a Mike's church history because yeah, yeah. we'll get back to why his dad left the Christian Missionary Alliance. Yeah, my it's, a, it's a longer story. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, okay, so the therapeutic gaze, what are the dangers what are the absolute goods and necessities that the therapeutic gaze brings to the church? The dangers are many, right? Um, particularly as therapy is often understood in our contemporary context as something which is deeply self-centered, right? Uh, Say that again, self? Deeply self-centered. Self-centered. Uh, the self matters. We, we care about it. But uh, as Christians, we're meant to be directed outside of ourselves to God and, and to others. And uh, the way we think about therapy in the contemporary context is almost always about individual personal happiness. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, the word therapy, though, right, uh, is about healing. Jesus is a healer. And maybe we can reclaim some of those specifically Jesus-centered uh, connections as we think about how we might seek healing in, in a broken world. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, therapy. Um, so often, um, so I, I wrote this book a long, long time ago. So long ago, I can't remember it, but uh, the great giveaway had a chapter in there, which was titled, The Need for More Preaching in the psychologist's office. That's what I wrote. I can't remember what the first part of it was, but anyways, this chapter got used by all the pastoral care uh, teachers and seminaries, and I used to get these kind of nasty notes, you know, mm -hmm. you don't understand therapy, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so I'm always up for a good rebuke. Um, and, uh, but what I tried to and by the way, I learned my rhetorical style from from the man himself, Stanley. So mm -hmm. that's part of the problem. Okay, but 
or are part of the positive sorry Stan part of positive what you taught me but also part of the problem but um, uh, I think uh, therapy is really important and I'll call it a deconstruction and an unwinding of all the hurts and the pains and the histories that we come to Jesus with so that part is absolutely essential um, so that's the first half. Mm-hmm. But where we go with it, uh, if we don't turn to Jesus hmm. and the social space of his kingdom and the, um, uh, the way that Jesus heals through forgiveness, through healing, through transformation, through reimagining what it's like to have a relationship or have money or be in a community. If, if those things don't happen, we get stuck and we get stuck in the first half. At that point, mm. the therapeutic gates turns in on itself. Okay, so that's my general three-minute summary hmm. of my both my, my importance of therapeutic and pastoral care. And yet, I think the problem that Stanley's trying to, to address, that if we don't actually get caught up in who Jesus is, where he's taking us, what he's doing. We can get stuck and remain there in a perpetual um, internalization of pain, suffering. Comments, questions, or anything at all, uh, <laughs> Beth, that you might agree with with me on that. Yeah, I think I largely buy all that. Um, you do. It's good stuff. I folks, too when learned she was looking at me, I couldn't, read her, <laughs> I couldn't read her face. I thought she was going to disagree with me. I'm going to go, oh, uh-oh. Don't play well, poker with her. Yeah. <laughs> well, go ahead. Uh, uh, expand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a great expansion. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm good at expanding on things. No, all all of that is so important, right? Um uh turning in on itself uh, is a way to describe sin in general, right? Yeah. Uh ah. the the person curved in on herself uh rather than being able to to bend outwards towards love and uh Absolutely. I'm grateful to Stanley Harris for helping me to think about that in some of the ways you just described. Yeah. Mm. So, so uh, okay. So, we all, Stanley, if you're listening, you, you know I, I owe so much to you. And uh, so, I'm criticized. I'm very. Uh, I don't know if Stanley's listening. <laughs> I don't think so. But <laughs> I just want to make sure he knows yeah. uh, I'm with him uh, because I owe, I owe, I feel like I owe so much to him. But, um, um, he says, quit taking yourself so seriously. Okay, if I ever said that to a parishioner, uh, that might be it. That might be it for <laughs> the, me, end of your, for the end church. Of your pastoral for, ministry. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and there's, a, there's a long story why Fitch probably isn't the one people look to for pastoral care among sure. the six pastors at our church. But um, he says, enjoy having your narcissism defeated by being drawn into the eschatological mission of Christ, his death, cross, resurrection. Um, I'm wondering if we just can't talk a little bit about that, because is there a way that suffering, um, that is there a way that we actually can, that suffering can be transformed by being caught up 
in what God is doing, not only in our lives personally, but in in the world and in the church. Yeah. And it's almost like what we're talking about. Um, instead of turning in on yourself, the suffering is, I don't want to say used, because that's not a really good word, but it is absorbed into the kingdom in a redemptive way. All that I just said has potential for a lot of problems. Can you clarify anything? Yeah, well, this is a whole other conversation, of course, a, a theology of suffering, but I, I think that's right. We we know that suffering uh, can be used and be transformed and resurrected, right, in kingdom ways. Um, but again, I think I want to point to the goodness of creation. As Christians, we don't have a positive value for suffering. Suffering is not the way things are supposed to be. Are you saying as Christians in America or Christians in general? I'm saying as Christian theology should be. (laughs) I'm Ah. just going to give a normative pronouncement (laughs) here. (laughs) We cannot give a positive valuation to suffering. Uh, The kingdom is is good, right? Um, And it's peace and it's flourishing and it's shalom. uh, And suffering is against God's goodwill for us and and for the world. Mm. And yes, it gets used. And yes, as Christians, we recognize in suffering often particularly important examples of discipleship uh, as people suffer like Jesus suffered, uh, pointing to the fact that the kingdom is more important than uh, the suffering. Uh, The suffering itself becomes a kind of nothing there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In the fact that the eschatological mission of Christ's kingdom is, is the final everything. Still, though, doctrine of creation, we, we cannot glorify suffering, and we often have, and mm. we've done that to uh, the great harm of some people more than others, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Female people, people of color, poor people, yes. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, it's been used as a tool of oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to a person, and I know flashing across my mind right now are several people over the last 20 years of ministry who've just been put through so much suffering. Mm-hmm. They, they had an understanding that if they followed Jesus, if they made space for him to work in their lives, they, they'd avoid the big sufferings. They'd actually lead a, uh, a, a good life, and they wouldn't have to go through this, 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 and this. Does what we're talking about today have anything? Is there some sort of way we can pastor people that can respond to that that person? Mm-hmm. I think most of us, like it or not, have a little bit of prosperity gospel in us. We really do think that we're supposed to earn treats, pleasures, et cetera, uh, for, for being good. Um, and I think for every one of us, uh, there comes a time or times when that is crushed by the realities of life in a broken world. Um, and it's then that pointing to Jesus and his defeat of that in his life, his death, and his resurrection uh, becomes all we have to hold on to. Um, I really don't think we can we can solve these problems. We just have to live with Jesus in them. Ah, we just have to live with Jesus yeah. in them. All right. Forgive me for pushing this, Mike. I, I can't. You're I good. I cannot uh, stop doing this. Rarely 
do we have a person of this theological right. stature in the room? <laughs> so we got to go with this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to say, oh, but God can. Okay. So those people who say God planned the suffering for his good and uh, uh, God, had, the Lord knows and he had this in mind. He's going to use this. He's got a plan for you in this suffering. Okay, there's that problem. But I don't want to do that. But what I want to somehow say is that God is going to enter in and use this suffering for his kingdom. Can we somehow submit to his work and let him do what he's going to do? Kind of like what God the, God did with Jesus in the suffering of the cross. It was an ultimate uh, victory. And so I tend to go. In, I I tend to get a little Pentecostal here and say God's going to do something here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I would. How how many of us have had that experience? And at the same time, the Lord is never the author of evil. Amen. Yeah. Never, mm-hmm. ever, ever. Mike, do you have an amen? Amen. <laughs> I didn't hear a strong enough amen. Yours was so loud it just covered over mine. <laughs> God can use things that He is not the author of. Yeah. Oh, and that that right there theologically is it says it says a lot. Well, I think it's just great pastoral care. God did not author this suffering mm-hmm. in your life. This is the broken world, the fall, the sin, the evil mm-hmm. that's at work in the world. Yeah. This was not God, but now allow God, who by Jesus in His Spirit can enter in, mm-hmm. can somehow work for his kingdom nonetheless he can all th- give me a uh, the romans passage all things work together for good, good those to, who love him to those who are called according to his purposes is that right mm-hmm. did i do say that right mm-hmm. my, my bible quiz somewhere in romans 8 there i think romans 8 yeah yeah terrible <laughs> no, no. ish yeah. <laughs> terrible okay you so and me both mike uh you've been listening to uh Fitch and Beth. Uh, yeah, it's great. I get a front row seat. What what uh, what have we missed here? I I don't know if you've missed anything. Um, I think when I read this article, I am assuming that Will and Stanley have somebody in mind that they're talking about. Ooh, did did you get that sense? Like like they're they're thinking of somebody in particular. Um, and I don't know who that character is or that caricature is. But Beth said something earlier that I thought was pretty significant, which was, um, you know, people who are middle, upper class, they suffer, but it's still suffering. There, there are still wounds there. And I think that they give a strong um, prophetic word. And I think about Jesus giving a strong prophetic word over the temple and to Jerusalem. But I also think about Jesus weeping when he saw Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And I think those things are necessary for pastoral care, which is... Uh, a word that might cut because it's true and it's honest, but also uh, the tears that accompany people in, in their suffering when when we see destruction coming. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Okay. <laughs> One last, and, and I know we're going long, but mm-hmm. this is what happens when Beth Felker Jones comes on the podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. Hey, you, you and I have been involved in a lot of church plants. Yeah, Beth is a, Beth's um, husband, and she are ministers at 
at the Method Gary Methodist and we I'm a pastor's wife. Yeah. Okay, in my home we if I ever called my wife a pastor's wife. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't going to work in my house. But anyways, go ahead. We'll, we'll we'll let Beth do whatever she so chooses. But anyways, get back to the topic. I have seen we've both been uh, involved in a lot of conversations with churches all over North America. I have seen churches get drowned, drowned mm-hmm. in uh, sufferings that have happened in their congregation mm. yeah. for years, and uh, and they they couldn't uh, move forward out of it, and it and ended it eventually ended the church. Yep, I've seen it happen again and again and again. Yep. Um, what does this article have to say? And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to talk about this, and then Beth, if you have anything to add, I'll, I'll I don't have anything to add. Uh, what do you have to? What does this article have to say to that situation? First of all, have you experienced it? I have. Yep, I've been part of two church plants that that uh, were really never able to to grow using the plant metaphor um, because of just a catastrophe of suffering. Uh, either death or marriages being broken or just moral failings. Um, Sufferings and, and real pain. Yes. Yes. And I could go on and talk about even more horrific mm-hmm. sufferings than that. And um, what do you, how do you pastoral care that? Because I think this article might have something to say. Stanley and Will might have something to say, although I don't think they're speaking to it directly. Are you asking in particular to church planting? Both. Okay. Um, oh, gosh. I feel like I have nothing to offer or, or to answer this other than to say um, the word patience is what's coming to my mind. Um, patience and fortitude uh, in the midst of suffering. I think for the church plants, um, in the two cases I experienced, it's what ended the church plant. And that was really hard and uh, it was heartbreaking at the same time and really disappointing. But I, I also took it in stride as God is faithful and God's purposes and mission are, are bigger than um, this one church plant. And, you know, I, I just had to trust that God was doing something in the midst of that. And, and he was, um, and mm-hmm. he is faithful still, uh, even, even in my myopic visions that I tried to make the the universal vision for everybody. God works in the midst of messes, thank God. And uh, God's work isn't always uh, the ending that we hope for. Um, But thank God, God is in the mess that is the church. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Amen. And then, and then, okay, sorry. I know we're going long. You're good. You're good. But is there a way? Like I'm, I'm, I'm seriously asking myself after I read this: Is there a way to um, pastor people? So you gotta have, you gotta have the time and the space to unwind the pain, the suffering, to be with people, to allow the presence of Christ to mm-hmm. minister. Mm-hmm. Okay, but is there a time and a place for saying God wants to use you? God wants to inhabit this. For his kingdom, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Is there ever a time to say that? Yes, 
Youth say yes. Right now, I want to hear Beth, though, Mike. Sorry. (laughs) Is there ever a time, or is that a white male type A, Enneagram 8? Because I've done a lot of therapy on myself. Is that (laughs) on yourself? (laughs) Is that just another type A, Enneagram 8 speaking inappropriately? I think there's a time for these things. I don't think it's just a, a white male thing. I forget what an Enneagram 8 is, but... Um, You're looking at probably two of them right now. Yeah, I'm a four, but okay. I don't know. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Best I can tell, I'm a four, and that's the one I didn't want to be, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, sure, there's a time. Um, you know, we, we keep going. We keep doing the work. Uh, we keep doing the next thing. And again, God is with us in the mess. I, yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. what I, I cling to there. So I just had a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, okay, so a type A Enneagram 8 white male mm-hmm. might just say, get off your duff and let's get going. Right. But that's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of pastoral care. Perhaps some people heard Stanley and Will, like I just acted, they were doing that in their article. Maybe not quite that way. But... Uh, what about when we're sitting with people and and the moment comes, let's say three months, six months, eight months, ten months, a year later, we say, hmm, uh, and, and we point to a ministry or a mission or a place where God's working and invite them in. Is God calling you now to step with all of what you have gone through Mm -hmm. is christ asking you to do this Hmm. and could that be part of pastoral care yeah you're a yes yeah i i think that's the lord's supper every sunday when we invite people to respond to jesus and in his table to i I think at your church they do this i'm not sure about uh you beth but the the methodists only have it once a month okay yeah yeah um (laughs) Well, I mean, still. For Sundays. Um, yeah. Our church is the same. Um, but it's an opportunity to stand up. Or at the end of the service, we invite people to come forward to be anointed and to be prayed over. But I think that's the invitation when we gather on Sunday, to stand up, to, to respond to Jesus' invitation. He's calling you into something. That is so much part of pastoral care. I see my husband do this with an extraordinary persistence and also tenderness um, in interpersonal relationships. And I think uh, God certainly works through that. All right. I feel like this is the moment to end the podcast because I feel like we're on a high note, a crescendo. Yeah. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) Theology on Mission podcast with Beth Felker-Jones, Mike Moore, and Dave Fitch. if you like this podcast, and frankly, I don't see how you could. If you liked it, put a review on wherever platform you listen. And yeah. come to the Mike Gorman Lectures in September. Mike will put that on the show notes page. Until then, it's Theology on Mission podcast, over and out. Mike Moore. And Beth Felker-Jones. Dave Fitch. See you next time.